You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hey everybody! Thanks for listening to Arn and checking out our podcast here on Westwood One. But I wanted to give everybody a quick heads up that you could have gotten this show early and ad-free if you joined us over at adfreeshows.com. We're not only getting you the shows early and ad-free, we're also getting you a ton of extra bonus content, including the real story about what happened with Eric's most recent run in WWE. Of course, we know it's been called his 83 days in WWE. Why did he get fired? We break it down in long form, and Eric's created a new concept called Context is King where he breaks down the storytelling aspect of the more cinematic efforts that WWE has recently done with the Boneyard match and with the Money in the Bank match and, of course, the Firefly Funhouse match. We also did a fun little bonus episode where we let Eric sort of relive his upbringing in the wrestling business, if you will. We watched AWA Super Clash 4, and Eric got pretty emotional talking about his friend Masa Saito. Later this month, I can't believe this is real, later this week, I guess, more specifically, we're going to talk about and actually watch Eric Bischoff wrestle the Young Bucks. That's right. He tagged with Matt Hardy to take on the Young Bucks, and it happened in TNA. I cannot wait to watch that with Eric. Speaking of watching old wrestling, I've had a blast doing that with my pal Arn Anderson. We just watched his only NWA title shot. Of course, it happened against Barry Windham at Slambury 93. But we also got to watch him and Tully win the belts, and of course, Windham turn on Lex Luger and join the four horsemen a really fun little piece of bonus content also available at adfreeshows.com tony shivani is a nut as you know we've had a ton of fun uh sort of picking his brain on ask tony anything as bonus content but we even watched tiger king tony shivani watching tiger king yes it's a real thing one of our most requested topics on any of my shows though are stories about the plane ride from hell and our pal good old jr was actually on that plane and he had the responsibility of letting some of those folks go. And he tells the story exclusively to adfreeshows.com. We also got to pick his brain during all the most recent WWE releases. It's been uh, quite a year over at adfreeshows.com. And the hits just keep coming. We did a hashtag AskJR anything. We've even watched a bunch of old uh, Mid-South wrestling, like the Midnight Express versus the Rock and Roll Express. All bonus content available right now at adfreeshows.com. But then, of course, there's the main event. You get something to wrestle early and ad-free, but we also covered the very coveted and most requested WrestleMania 8 episode. Check it out, man. There's a lot of fun stuff. You get show notes. You get to see the research that we do here on the show. You get all the shows early. You get them ad-free. Plus, all the stage shows from StarCast 1, 2, 3, and 4. More than 100 hours of content there. And I think there's even a special promotion going on for Memorial Day. Go check it out at adfreeshows on Twitter or check it out adfreeshows.com. There's a way you can actually get a Zoom call with Eric Bischoff. Tons of fun, extra content, all for you to enjoy at adfreeshows.com. Hope you check it out. Think you're going to love it. Without further ado, let's get to it.
Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Arn. And of course, we couldn't be here if it weren't for the founder of the Four Horsemen, Double A, the Enforcer, Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? Doing great. Doing great. Hope everybody's maintaining their health. And uh, there's a little uh, light at the end of the tunnel. So stay the course, folks. Keep doing all the right things, and we're going to dig our way out of this mess. We are so excited to be here. Of course, our format on the show every other week is hashtag ask Arn anything. And that's exactly what we're doing today. Uh, and I want to encourage everybody before we get going to check out adfreeshows.com because uh, Arn, you and I just had a chance to watch your only title shot on pay-per-view against Barry Windham, Slambury 1993. And damn it. I forgot you didn't win. <laughs> You know, I didn't win a bunch. Did you forget about those two? <laughs> it was fun to watch that with you. It was your, it was a big night for you. The Omni, the world title. Come on. It was never about winning. It was about storytelling and going out and giving that audience the best that you had that night. And I think we did. And uh, it was cool to go back and watch. It was. I hope you guys check it out over at adfreeshows.com. But without further ado... Let's get to some Q and a Arn, we got hundreds of questions. There's no ways we'll get, no way we'll get through all of them, but we'll try to take a stab at getting as many as we can. Uh, here's a great one from Jeremy Ray. He says, you said on here on the show that you're a big fan of Luke Harper. Who's now Brody Lee with him now in AEW. What do you see as his ceiling? How far do you think he could go without the shackles of WWE? Sky's the limit. He's got all the tools. He's got a head for the business. He's smart. He's durable. He's big. Uh, he can have a match with anybody. He's been put in a situation where I think you can add layers, you know, to his gimmick that he has now. And the main thing above anything else is never forget the first time I saw, you know, saw him at a show here a while back, a couple of months ago, whenever it was. And he came up, gave me a big bear hug and was smiling ear to ear. And when, I, when you got a talent that's really good and they're really happy with what they're doing, you're going to see things you never saw before. I think that's sort of something that's maybe not talked about enough. I mean, we hear guys talk about, oh, this guy's promo skills and oh, this guy's look and oh, this guy's moves or whatever the case may be. But man, if at the end of the day, if they ain't happy, you're not going to get them at their absolute best. You'll never know what they're really capable of until they're happy. Right. That's correct. I think that's true about a lot of things, but you know, you've got to enjoy what you do or you're not going to be good at it. And that's any occupation, especially when you have the opportunity to be creative and have input and go out there and actually pull off things that you envisioned the night before laying in bed or backstage or two weeks before or six months before. And man, I sure would like to be in a position to try this, whatever that would be. And now you get to go do it and see the smile on their face. That's what it's all about. You told me one of the first times me and you hung out that you thought one of the, uh, most underrated talents in the company was Luke Harper. And obviously you watch wrestling a lot different than we fans do. You were really paying attention to the intricacies of his performance and the way he put his match together and how it was never the same thing. He would always mix it up just a little bit to the point that maybe fans didn't notice, but it caught your attention in a big way, right? 
Yeah, fans aren't, you know, in tune as to who's making things fly. That's why when you're young and you're a kid, you're watching and you you want to cheer for the good guy because you think the good guy's actually kicking the bad guy's ass and he deserves it. When in reality, the bad guy is making and creating most of the excitement. And he's getting his ass handed to him in creative ways because it's all coming from him. And that's his job description. You know, so Blue Carper was a guy that, you know, number one, Bray was the man. Right. That's the that's the guy that they were going to put up on the, the top of the mountain and uh, on his throne. And then you had Big Red, who was a little green, but a monster monster on the other side. So you didn't want to bounce Big Red around. You didn't want to bounce Bray around. So who does that leave? That leaves Harper. But you got to do it in a way where it doesn't make him the weak sister. And he was smart enough to know how to do that. He was smart enough to know how to feature Big Red, put him in a situation where he was a monster. And all the time, because the gimmick called for it, being a little bit subservient to Bray. And I would watch how the matches would go and, you know, the blend of of things going on in the ring. And I could tell who was putting a lot of that together, and that was Luke. Stay tuned, boys and girls. It's going to be a hell of a ride. Um, Bad Money Slim writes, many, many times we've all heard the story about how you all went out and bought a Mercedes at the same time. Uh, what year and model, sticker price? What do you remember? Uh, I got to tell you, this is something that's become legendary that guys would pull up to the office of Jim Crockett Promotions. And when they do, uh, I mean, it looks like a, a fleet of cars that surgeons down at the hospital would be driving. I mean, it was the latest and greatest model. Uh, from everybody and you somewhere along the way, the horseman sort of became the torchbearer for that lifestyle, right? Yeah. And you know what, when business took off and we all knew because all the pieces were in place, uh, 86 is when everything flamed up and you just knew, man, this is going to be good. And it, it trickled on into 87. There was no letdown or so we went down there one day, and uh, after interviews, I believe it was, they let out early. For some reason, we didn't have a house show, or there was some reason, but Tully and I and Rick went down, and we bought four Mercedes. Rick bought the big one, or either got the little SL, I can't remember, or the big sedan, the, the 500. I bought a 300E. That was in my price range. That was about 37000 Tully bought a 300E for himself and his wife, his new wife. So you're talking about a you know wedding gift and trying to get over. Yeah. That don't do it. I don't know what would. Exactly. Um, you know all about that. I'm over at my house. I'm sure you're over at my house. <laughs> I love you for that. And I would suggest most of my neighbors' houses. <laughs> But, uh, man, I had never drove a vehicle like that. And I see why they get what they get, you know, because BMWs and, you know, I've since bought Aaron a BMW and we've had it a long time, you know, 10 years or so. But, you know, those Germans can make vehicles, my friend. Make no mistake. They make nice, tight, heavy, smooth driving vehicles. So as we drove those on the lot the next week, 
now you had Ricky Morton in a 900 Saab. You had Hoot in a brand new big something. Barry Windham was in a, you know, he had to he had to be Barry Windham. That long hair, six foot six. He bought him a white Porsche. Wow. Cabriolet. You don't think that stood out zipping around town? That head full of blonde hair. Dusty had a Mercedes. He had the 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 two seater, and it was like. I mean, everybody in the company, Dennis Condry had a couple of cars. He had a, a new Continental. Uh, some of the guys had new Cadillacs. It, it was just like you pulled on the lot, and it was like, yeah. Now I see why we're working 336 days a year. There's part of the payoff. And, you know, guys bought homes, not only just cars. They bought homes. They bought furniture. They bought jewelry. I mean, it, from eighty, the middle of eighty-five until, God, the middle of eighty-eight, I guess, towards the end of eighty-eight, Jim Crockett Promotions was, uh, it was rock and roll. You know, Arn, as the enforcer of the Four Horsemen, if there's one thing you know about, it's pain. And I've read a lot about the relief that CBD offers from the extreme aches and pains. But what if there was something better than CBD? Well, I found it. It's called Leafa, and it's a brand new relief cream that works on contact, and you don't need a prescription for it. Leafa contains over 3,000 milligrams of CBD and beta cariophylline, plus, it has menthol. For those that don't know, beta cariophylline is another phytocompound like CBD, but instead of just reacting to receptors in the body, beta cariophylline binds to them making it more powerful than just CBD alone. Leafa is the only formula on the market that contains these ingredients and they combine for a more fast acting targeted relief on contact. By the way, it feels really great. With social distancing and sheltering in place, I've been trying to keep a little more active at home, but I'm not really that motivated because I'm tired and achy. I get really stiff and sore and I need some relief. I applied the Leafa to my joints, especially my left knee, and man, it felt really great. It absorbed fast and left no greasy residue. Leafa made my left knee feel so much better on contact. It smells great too. It's not like a bad medicine smell, but don't take my word for it. Try it for yourself. Experience Leafa's relief. It's a free $60 value during Leafa's nationwide free trial. Now, all you've got to do is pay the shipping. To get your free Leafa, just go to yourleafasupply.com. That's yourleafasupply.com for your free trial. Let me spell it for you. That's Y-O-U-R-L-E-F-A-S-U-P-P-L-Y.com, yourleafasupply.com. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. What, uh, what color was your bins back then? White with uh, burgundy interior. I like it. That's a, that's a bold move, Cotton. I like it. It's pretty. Uh, uncle Jesse wants to know, has there ever been any discussions while you're at WWE to make a different ring for the women considerably, or since they're considerably smaller than the men I ask, because when they run the ropes, most women look like they're up on their tippy toes. So their backs hit the ropes. This is an interesting question that I don't think would maybe work with a lot of other podcasts, but someone who was hitting those ropes every day for decades, maybe knows what we're talking about here. Do you think that? The women were at a disadvantage with, uh, you know, having to take more steps. Well, I can tell you this, a bigger ring doesn't, 
the high spots themselves are not as crisp. The collisions aren't as un, uh, unsuspected, or um, that's probably not the right word. It's not as spontaneous. But, you know, yeah, I mean, you've got to you got to choreograph it a little more. There's there are more steps, and you're there's like they're running into getting their head taken off. About four steps ago, they could have avoided that. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. WCW rings were smaller. I thought all the high spots were tighter. You could get from point A to B quicker, and it, and it made for just a quicker moving match, I think. Plus, the ring, you know, to its credit, was a lot. It wasn't as hard. You know, those WWE rings are hard, and they are big. And you do have to, you know, when you're running buckle to buckle, it can seem like forever. So uh, I do agree. I like the smaller rings, always did. But I bet if you told the girls, hey, you're just girls, we need to build you a smaller ring, you'd have got your head slapped off by right. some of these ladies. That's true. So let's talk about that because you wrestled, obviously, in basically every size ring, probably 16, 18, 20. WWE's 22 foot, is that right? I think so, yeah. And then WCW would have been 18 or 20? I'm going to say 18. So you got, you're picking up four more steps in the WWF compared to WCW. When you, when you first get up there and you get like, somebody's going to reverse turnbuckle you and you take about two or three steps and you're ready to start turning, but you're still four or five feet out because you're programmed into, this is how many steps I take before I start to turn to eat that turnbuckle with my back. And it's just ingrained in you from years of working on the same size ring. And when you start to turn and you're not there, that's a, that's a weird feeling. It just, it takes a while to, to restructure your inner clock and know when to start turning to try to make that thing work. And, and the, the one thing I found out was off center the ring and don't start, don't get whipped in until you're from the middle Mm are cheating a little bit towards the buckle you're going to be at. Does that make sense? Yes. So you do take the same amount of steps and you get there just as quickly, but you just don't run buckle to buckle. I recently had to watch in your house. Number one, the very first one, and it was Sid versus diesel and Sid had been with the company for a little while, but I mean, he had a bigger run in WCW and I felt like when I watched it, that when Nash whipped him into the buckle, oh, he's his muscle memory is, Oh, I'm in a WCW ring because he turned, I don't know. It just looked awkward. It, it did look like, and I had an old timer once make a comparison to me. He said the different size rings, it would mess you up. And I, I said, how so? And he said, do you ever get up to go pee in the middle of the night and think you're going back to your bed and you realize you're actually out of town or you're at a hotel or you're at a friend's house or you're out of rental or whatever. It's not the same path to the bathroom as to your bed as it is at your house, but you don't know that because you're just sort of in the moment you're it's dark, it's at night and you just have a routine. It's this many steps. And I don't know, but that really made sense to me that you just have like a sixth sense of where you are. And then all of a sudden you're not there. It's like an inner clock. Yeah. It t- tells you when to start turning. That, that's a pretty good analogy. Yeah. I'll, I'll agree with that. It, it, it is ingrained into you because how many times have you ate a buckle, you know, and, and, 15 years. Right. I mean, my God, it had to be in the thousands, I would think. Sure. And if it was every, you know, every time was the same one, two, three, start turning, grab the top rope, eat the buckle. Then that was just night after night, you know, 330 nights a year, 350 nights. 
you know, year after year after year after year, it just becomes automatic. And now suddenly it's not automatic. I can't imagine, man. That uh, I'd be like writing with your left hand. Uh, Mike Rubin wants to know when you did that interview on Benoit and woman's affair, were you aware that they were together, they were together in real life? I've been asked about this a few times and I went back and watched it back to back a couple of times. And it almost makes you think that I knew something was going on and was trying to, to say it in a kayfabe sense. When I didn't, I was doing a wrestling angle because I had no idea at that time that I did that promo. Soon after I did, I found out that it was there was a legitimate relationship there that had, that had popped up. But when I made that promo, it was if you knew the outcome of everything, you know that I said in that promo, it was pretty damn eerie. It was like I was forecasting all of it. And in theory, you know, that, that would have sounded, okay, well, shit, he must have known. I did not know. And it just lucked out that way. I was doing a wrestling promo, and our angle was pretty much Kevin's wife was taken away from him by Chris Benoit. That was the angle. And uh, I did the promo accordingly, and it just turned out to be, oh, well, we know how it turned out to be. Yes, we do. Let's, uh, let's move along. Mike G wants to know what's the most creative finish you came up with for a match that you agented. And I'm sure this comes up because a few weeks ago we covered, uh, the last man standing match with John Cena and Batista. And it came out that you were the guy who suggested, well, what if you just duct taped his feet around the turnbuckle? Can't win a last man standing match then. Cause you can't stand up, which is pretty genius. Does another finish like that stick out to you? I mean, obviously nothing to that degree, but something that creative. Um, God, it's so hard to pin down any one match and any one finish. And, um, I'm not really, nothing really comes to mind other than the fact that, um, you got to look at what talent bring to the table. And when you're thinking in terms of, of creative finishes, you know, it's like years ago there was a finish that, that popped up and um, I looked at it and went, that's a little ahead of its time. Used to be a superplex was a finish. Right. And you remember that, Conrad, not that's so long ago, right? Sure. Off the top, that was it. The guy that gave you a superplex was winning. Of course. Well, we came up, and I don't know who came up with it, but uh, – I looked at it and I went, damn, that was creative. To where the guys land at the same time, and a la Brad Armstrong, a la Barry Windham off of a suplex where the guy flips over and lands on top all in one movement. Right. Well, somebody came up with the idea that as that guy that just gave the superplex starts to flip up and over for the cover, the guy that just took the suplex brings his legs up and they meet in the middle and you scissor the legs and the guy that took the bump catches the other guy for a quick one, two, three. Seen that one before? I don't remember where, but yeah. And it was, it did, it, it got a reaction out of me because that was the first time I'd seen it. Well, it hasn't been done much because when you do something that creative and memorable, you don't want to come back to that. 
Sure. And even though someone else did it a year ago, I don't want to go back to that because people still remember it. Let's If it's still sitting there two years from now and we're reversing roles and the guy given and the guy taken, you know, can switch and it's still the same creative finish, things like that, wrestling finishes for me, other than using, you know, hitting a guy in the head with a title or a chair shot or all that stuff, okay, you can do all that stuff. But if to me, the most creative finishes are wrestling finishes and those that use a guy's abilities against him. Um, and like I said, it, it's just some come to mind. Right now, I'm kind of drawing a little blank and I'm a little embarrassed about that. Well, no reason to be. Have you heard about the pro wrestling booker game that's available on Apple and Android mobile devices? It's called eighties mania wrestling returns. And if you're looking for an incredibly fun, easy to play general manager style wrestling game for your mobile device, this is the one. The premise is simple. You collect cards for wrestlers, managers, match types, and more. And the better shows you book, the more in-game cash you'll earn to collect more cards. There's all sorts of secret unlockable rewards in the game too. Team up the right wrestlers and you'll unlock their tag team card. Match certain wrestlers against each other and you'll unlock their feud card. And as if that doesn't sound cool enough, the universe of characters is awesome too, considering the game is set in the 80s and 90s, also known as the two greatest decades in the history of pop culture and pro wrestling. 80s Mania Wrestling Returns is free to play and the developers are constantly updating the game with new characters and new features. Just search for 80s Mania Wrestling Returns in the App Store or your Google Play Store. And check this out. Once you've played through the in-game tutorial, head to the settings screen and enter this cheat code, Conrad, to unlock a bunch of wrestler cards at Game Cash. Wrestling fans, pop culture fans, 80s and 90s nostalgia fans, check this game out. You will not regret it. 80s Mania Wrestling Returns. Uh, let's, let me ask uh, another great question that we got here that you and I haven't talked about, but I'm sure you'd be into if you've checked it out. Uh, have you caught any of the last ride documentary on the WWE network about the undertaker's more recent experiences at WrestleMania as he tries to figure out how he wants to retire or if he wants to retire? I just heard he signed a new deal. 15 years. Yep. And the yep. Uh, rumor in innuendo is, uh, <laughs> some of that's because he accepted the Starcast booking, but that's probably a story for another time. <laughs> going to hang your hat on that one are you <laughs> i'm just saying Arn. i should have got a finder's fee give me five hey, percent shit hey why are you putting yourself over i spine busted his ass at wrestlemania so there i do remember that now and i will hang my hat on that one i don't think mark would mind uh i've often said the undertaker <clears throat> is probably you know the guy that is at least as most respected as anybody that's not only in the business now but has ever been in the business and he is a locker room leader and he goes out and he leads by example and he works hurt and he guts it out and he toughs it out. I personally, and I've said this before too, no disrespect to Brock Lesnar who, you know, could cream an entire County if he wanted to. I don't think Taker streak should have ever been broke. He should still be sitting here with unbeaten. That's yeah. just my feeling. 
It's as special as anything has ever been. It's more special than anybody that won a world title. Or uh, it's 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 one of those things that comes along just every so often, and the character fits the angle. And the two, you know, he's a guy that there's nobody that you would say on any of those WrestleManias that he won that said very clearly he's going to get beat tonight. I don't think they, anybody believed he would ever get beat, and he's the guy to pull that off. And guess what? Sometimes when it's the thing to do, do it. Right. Leaving him undefeated would have been perfect and let him walk away, let him retire, let him get put in the Hall of Fame all in one year and let that record, whether it was 30 and oh, whatever it would be, that's something monumental. And I don't think Brock Lesnar needed the win to convince anybody that he was a number one guy. It's just one of those things that just wasn't necessary. Did you, uh, did you catch any of the, the new series that they're airing now? I think they've had two or three episodes. Uh, about um, his career. It's called Last Ride. Have you seen any of that yet on the network? Not yet, but I sure will. I think you're gonna. Lo- I think you're gonna love it. Uh, another good question because we have talked about this one. This one comes from Mike G. Is there a topic that Arn would want Dark Side of the Ring to cover? Of course, uh, the the finale uh, happened last week. Owen Hart, uh, and that was the end of season two. And now, uh, there's a lot of debate. Will there be a season three? And if there is, what would Aaron like to see? Well, it, you know, it's, I'm the dumbass, And I, I, we said on this podcast, you know, I looked over and after the last, last one that I watched, I looked at Brock, Dino Bravo. I watched the road warrior, road warrior version this week. I haven't seen the one on. And the only one left I haven't seen is uh, the Owen Hart story, which is it's going to be hard to watch. So I remember looking at television coming out of the kitchen or somewhere and had the show on, and I looked at the announcer's face. If you looked at King's face, you looked at JR's face, you knew something bad had happened. I just didn't know how bad. That's as bad as it gets. Um, I've often thought about, God, how horrible would it be if we actually saw that some version of a guy losing his life in the ring is damn what a downer. Um, but it's all, you know, and that's the name of the show, the dark side of wrestling. And it's all negative. It's all the horrible things or some of the horrible things that have happened, you know, in the business. Um, I don't know, uh, what I would, go to reach out and pull out. There's no way to put any positives in it because the negatives, the dark side is what's selling. And that's what I'm sure they're getting incredible ratings on all this. And, and they're doing a good job of, uh, producing it. You know, they're telling some good stories. Uh, I want to say I enjoy it. And I want to say it depresses the shit out of me every time I watch an episode, but <laughs> hey, it's the nature of the business. Got its ups and it's got its downs. Let's talk about an up. Michael Eldridge wants to know what did Arn think of the television segment, a flair for the gold. I know it was entertaining for him and I know it was a pain in the ass to when we do three weeks of TV tapings to have to go wrestle, put on my street clothes, do a flair for the gold go back and wrestle again, 
go back and put on my street clothes again, different street clothes for another flare for the gold, and sometimes have three matches and have three flare for the goals. And why they couldn't have shot them all together, I don't know, other than the fact that they wanted to get the crowd reaction by shooting them all out in front of the crowd. But if you sweat like I sweat, and buddy, I'm a sweater, to try to go have a match, cool off, get dressed, not be pouring sweat through one of those flare for the goals, sometimes got to be a real pain in the ass. Yeah, I can only imagine. And Uh, nobody saw, that's a part of the business nobody saw. You know, that's just an unselfish part because I wanted to be out there you know, and that, at that point in time, it was great to be out there with Rick and us yucking it up and having a good time. And that was a different format, and it allowed me to do some different things that, you know, I enjoy doing. Just you know, just cutting up. And uh, but it was just hard to try to combine both, and uh, really was. Michael Eldridge wants to know, were there any finishing moves, singular tag that Arn was scared to, or flat out refused to take, uh, this comes up because I think over the years, maybe it even popped up a couple of weeks ago during dark side of the ring. Some of the folks weren't so keen on taking the doomsday device. Was there a finish that you wanted no part of? That would be one. Yep. That would be one. Uh, I didn't like that feeling of cutting a backflip and having no control, uh, over, you know, my body and the, where I landed. Uh, I took that thing off of, uh, off of animal shoulders, but he just went down with me and we just landed on my back. As lame as that may sound, that's all they're going to get out of me. The flip was out. When I saw JJ land on his shoulder and pop his shoulder out, that convinced me, uh, no, thank you. But other than that, you know, everything seemed to be pretty safe at that time. You know, there weren't really, I mean, a crossbody off the top was a finish. A figure four was a finish. Arm submission was a finish. You know, there were, it wasn't real dangerous like it is today. Some of this stuff these guys do today, I don't even know how they, they get it in their mind before they can bring it to the ring. I don't know what's going on in there to be able to even think in terms of some of this stuff that they do. And it it scares me to death, but Hey, it's the evolution of the business. You know, are some of these questions just keep coming up. Speaking of things that keep coming up, how about your dick? If you love sex, you'll love bluechew.com. You see bluechew.com offers men a performance enhancement for the bedroom at bluechew.com. You get the world's first chewables with the same active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. And a bluechew.com affiliated physician will work with you to find the right dose and active ingredient that works for you. Chewables can work faster and the chewables from bluechew.com can be taken on a full or empty stomach. By the way, the online physician console is free, so it's cheaper than those other two. And it only takes a few minutes to connect with a bluechew.com affiliated physician. And if you qualify, well, you get prescribed online very quickly. No in-person doctor visit, no awkward conversation, no waiting in line at a pharmacy. It ships directly to your door, all in discreet packaging. And the chewables from bluechew.com are made right here in the USA. Bluechew is going to give you confidence in bed every time. You and your partner will love it, so chew it and do it. And here's a great deal for you guys. Visit bluechew.com and get your first order for free when you use our promo code ARN. Just pay $5 shipping. That's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com and the promo code is ARN. Let's talk about the evolution of the business for a minute, because 
it's sort of been fun for me to think sort of what if, you know, like you've been great friends with Barry Darso for a long time. And of course he made it to the WWF before you did had tremendous success with demolition, but then when the demolition run sort of winds down and crush is off doing his singles thing and Edie's going to take a break from in-ring action, at least from within the WWF, uh, they needed something for him to do. And it's not all that different than when you and Tully decided, Hey, we're going to go back to Crockett and maybe Tully had a situation with the WWF. What if you sort of refused to take the pay cut that they offered in WCW and wound up sticking with the WWF? Your pal, Barry Dorso became the repo man. Um, what do you think you would have been saddled with? Had you actually stuck around? Number one, I would have never done that. You wouldn't have done the repo man gimmick. I would have never went back. Mm. I would have went to Japan anywhere else because you're talking about walking in the front door with your head between your legs and a sign around your neck saying, go ahead, kick me in the nuts. I would have, my God, I can, you know, they might have made me like a starburst pigeon or something. <laughs> oh my gosh. A basset hound. God knows what would have happened, but you can bet your ass the hammer would have dropped because nobody left there in those days. Right. right. Are you kidding me? Everybody worked their entire career and dug and scratched and everything they could possibly do to make it to that company. And and I got it. You know, people were going, well, God of money, why are they leaving? They, you know, they did well here. You know, they're just getting here. It's just, it's just the beginning. Why are they getting out of here? Well, you know, be a man of your word and none of, we wouldn't have to worry about any of that. I would probably have still been there. Um, but, uh, that was the situation there. And I know Barry, he was better than the repo man. That's, that's a situation, you, you know, once you've been an ass kicker and a killer and you're that same guy in a different costume, but they want you to change your whole stick. Do they pe- think people are just going to forget about demolition? Right. Cause they had that deal over and it, you know, him and Bill did a great job and they took care of themselves. They were big rugged guys to work with. You had to earn what you got from them. And uh, to just turn that into a cartoon character and think that wasn't going to screw up your career, bullshit. What did, uh, I mean, your pals will bury and Barry does the repo man gimmick and he's not really thrilled with it. I don't think he's ever even done an appearance as repo man. I mean, he'll still paint up and do the old demolition thing, but no repo man stuff. I mean, do you think that's one of his major regrets through his career? Well, it's hard to say. Barry had a child. He had a wife. He had a family to feed, you know, depending on what was available. And if I remember correctly, I went to bat for Barry and I got him brought back to WCW after the repo man thing. Yes. But I think at the time that the demolition thing played out, you know, if they were still offering you a job and maybe nowhere else was, you know, not knowing the circumstances of who he talked to, who he didn't, what his negotiation was with WWE versus WCW. But uh, 
you know, we've all done a lot of stupid things. And you brought one up earlier that we're going to be discussing, which is the renegade debacle. Jesus. But you know what? It wasn't about me. It wasn't about the renegade. It was about my family and doing what was right for them. Because they weren't going to be sitting home when I walked in the door and say, what well, did you win or lose or, or, or any of those things? It's just you okay? Everything good? Everything go okay at work? And move on and live your life. And that's what Barry was doing, I'm sure, without, without question. And a lot of guys have done. We've all done things that weren't good for our career, weren't necessarily good for the business. Because the other option was fear of the unknown. And when the business shrunk up to two or three companies, it cut way down on your decision-making possibilities and, you know, how strong you could be in your negotiations and all that. When there was 15 places to work, you could take care of yourself a little better. The Gator Crusader show wants to know when an opponent would sunset flip over you, unlike most wrestlers who would wildly try to get their balance. You would pause briefly to try to reach the ropes or tag. It was unique and smart. Did you see someone else do it? Or was that sell job an Arn Anderson original? That was a Arn Anderson special. And like I said, many times I couldn't do a lot of stuff, but the stuff that I did do, I tried to do well. And that didn't mean bigger, higher bumps or higher impact. It was all in the storytelling and getting every little squeeze you could out of every orange that you were squeezing and uh, try to make everything mean something, make everything a struggle. Nothing was too smooth. Nothing came across as, hey, you're just manhandling me too easily here. We're in a fight. We're in a struggle. And just that fun sunset flip spot made a guy have to work at least on the surface to get me down. And that was the story. This is, uh, one even I've never talked about the Rosen coaster wants to know, was there an opportunity to work in Dallas for Fritz von Eric? And if so, what'd you think of the territory? I thought he had a hell of a territory, but no, I was never in discussions of uh, working for Dallas. I was very fortunate to stay a long time in the few territories I did go to from Pensacola, 14 months to Jim Crockett over three years, 14 months, WWF back to WCW, 12 years. You know, it was, uh, I used to watch their show on TV and just the clarity and the, the production values were just incredible. And those boys were like gods, you know, the Von Ericks were, as over as anybody's ever been in this business, they were red hot. And, uh, man, you just said Von Eric and you had butts and seats. And, uh, I thought it was well done. I think their television show was way ahead of its time. And, uh, they just had a very successful deal and they had some good heels with the Freebirds and all those guys to work with. So it was magic. Yes, it was Uh fun one here from Josh Kuhn. <laughs> Arn's faced all the greats in tag team competition. What are his favorite memories of Firebreaker Chip and Todd Champion? The silence. <laughs> 
is the loudest thing in the room right now, isn't it? Yeah. It's, de- it's deafening. It is. Okay, I will tell you a story that I was going to take a minute. We got time, Bubba. We got time. That's all we do have right now is time, isn't it? It is. And a pretty nice set of equipment that you set me up with. Thank you again for that. Yeah. Yes, sir. Buddy system. Okay. So, Curtis, firebreaker chip. I called him windbreaker chip. Don't ask me why. Probably because it pissed him off. Kid had a good body. He broke in in the Carolinas. He did jobs on TV. He paid some dues. Kind of went around, you know, different places and got some experience. But the guy looked great, looked like a bodybuilder. And he was a good athlete, very athletic, could do some good stuff. But when they paired him with Todd Champion and that uh, gimmick that they gave him, Todd was big. Todd was gassed up. He was green. He was hard-headed. He thought he already had it figured out. Anyway, they brought him into WCW at a time when they were introducing all these new characters, PN News, Van Hammer, Johnny B. Bad, Glacier, Karate Guy, um, his name, Eric's, Eric's buddy. Oh, uh, Ernest Miller. Ernest Miller, who I love. The red dancing shoes were awesome, but a nice man, too. Uh, you know, came in at a time where they were introducing all these new characters. And uh, like I said, Todd Champion was gassed to the gills. He's probably 6'5", 6'6". He had to be about 280, big and strong and reckless. So Larry and I worked with him. And uh, usually, uh, you know, the scenario that you're looking for when you have green guys is one will be a little better than the other one and, and pull that guy up. Well, in this case, Todd pulled windbreaker down as far as his thought process and, uh, you know, being able to go with the flow in the ring, listen to the heels and all that, you know, I don't know what he pumped him into his head, but anyway, come to find out, we're going to be working in LA coming up and that's where his dad was a preacher and had a big huge congregation i think a television show even in that respect so he tells us you know earlier during in the week now he has been punching us in the mouth clotheslining us in the nose backdropping us on you know over rotating us where we're landing on our butt all you, you name it so he tells us we're going to be in L.A. and and how he cannot wait because his dad's he's going to get like a hundred tickets, hmm. and he's bringing part of the congregation, all the bigwigs, and man, he is. You can just see the gleam in his eye. Well, the night before we were somewhere, and uh, he picked me up and slammed me. Now I don't know how you do this. But he slammed me, and I landed on my side, right on my shoulder. Thought it popped my shoulder up, and he slammed me hard. So we got through the match. 
So I talking to Larry before the next night we get there and the kids got his dad and all them back in the hall. And, uh, man, my shoulder, I spent about an hour in the trainer getting ice and heat and all that stuff and getting a massage where I could just loosen up to raise my arm. And, uh, he's, he's got his dad and the parishioners and all them are backstage and all that stuff and how they were so excited. First time seeing his kid wrestle live and all that. So we're getting close to the match and I looked at Larry and I said, look, we're going to teach these some bitches a lesson mostly Todd champion. So we started the match. I, we wrestled around with windbreaker here a little bit. We stopped windbreaker and we got a little heat on windbreaker. We then gave windbreaker comeback out of that comeback. We did a screw job and we beat windbreaker. Now through that summation of the match, what's missing? I don't know. If did you fall asleep during that diatribe I just put you through, <laughs> what was not included was any verbiage of Todd Champion being in the match. You know why? <laughs> Y'all didn't let him tag in. We never let him in. Oh my gosh. Now, Backstage, his old man is just jaws on the ground and the kid's crying. He was flipped. And I said, from now on, listen to me. Quit dropping us bad. Quit hurting us. That's a lesson. My goodness. In L.A., in the forum, 100 parishioners, nothing Zero. Thanks for coming, but we got nothing for you. Learn from this. Well, I think the next set of TVs, whoever was taking care of it and booking and all that did do a smart thing. They booked him like three matches in a row with Steve Regal on every taping. Oh, he'll learn with Steve. Steve stretched him, beat him up, stretched him some more, beat him up. And I think pretty soon after that, he quit. So in your opinion, this wasn't a guy who, um, was oblivious. He just didn't care. He didn't respect it. Yeah. Didn't care. Didn't care. You know, no thought to, you know, the guys having more experience across the way and you know, the way the business was laid out back then he was called the match. We ran the show and if it stunk, guess what? The match stunk. All four of us got it. The match was great. Baby faces got the credit. Hey, you guys look great out there tonight. So if I'm going to get my head cut off at the end of this thing, it's not going to be because you're not listening to me and not allowing me to do what I know how to do. Uh, you got to listen. You got to learn. You got to quit being dangerous because, you know, if you cripple me and I can't feed my family, you're going to send me a check every week? Of course not. Don't think so. So listen to me when I say lighten up, smarten up, and quit being reckless. Retromania Wrestling is the official sequel to the 1991 arcade hit WrestleFest. There's a newly announced roster addition to Matt Cordona and Brian Myers. Also Nikita Koloff, they join Hawk and Animal of the Road Warriors who are back to defend the tag team championship along with wrestlers from all different promotions and eras of wrestling 
including the NWA world champion, Nick Aldis, Tommy Dreamer, Colt Cabana, Jeff Cobb, Stevie Richards, the Blue Meanie, Hollywood Nova. Of course, they're the BWO. Johnny Mund, Johnny Impact. We'll just call him Johnny Retro. You got to check this out, man. There's all the game modes that you remember from WrestleFest. They're still there. But what's going on now is called the Retro Rumble, which is singles, six, eight-man tag matches, a story mode, cage matches, a three-way dance, a fatal four-way, and so much more. There's also several different arenas, including the studio for NWA Power, and of course, that famous arena at the corner of Swanson and Rittner in South Philadelphia. And also, we should mention, this is coming to the Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and the PC. For more information and how to pre-order, go check it out right now at RetromaniaWrestling.com. That's RetromaniaWrestling.com. And uh, go ahead and get your wish list on Steam and check them out on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at RetroSoft Studios. If you're an old school wrestling fan, man, this is for you. RetromaniaWrestling.com. Adam B wants to know what's the tip for maintaining such a great beard. Constant maintenance. <laughs> I got what the hell's so funny? What the fuck kind of maintenance can you do to your beard? What, what, what do you mean maintenance? What does that even mean? I have perfect form of a beard. You got like tools and shit that you trim around. You got some special balm you running it. What are you doing? I try to angle it where I cover up these hog jaws. <laughs> if it means down. grow it up over my cheekbones, so be it. That, that really is the, uh, the tip to the extra poundage. I mean, that's the reason most self-respecting fat guys have a beard. Yeah. Nothing worse than a guy with a big fat head like me and got the beard. It swoops way down there. Uh, okay. cover, cover it up. I agree. It's like if you had a shirt that was up over your drum and your belly was showing, you'd get a longer shirt, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Same thing with the beard. Uh, Concussed Jones wants to know, why do you think Pete Dunn hasn't been called up to the main roster in WWE? I don't know if you've had much interaction with him, but he's a great wrestler, a great talker. He's believable. He has everything I think it takes to be a huge player, but he's not on the main roster. Do you know why? No, agreed. Maybe he's being protected because once you get thrown up, up into the shark tank, most guys that come from NXT, you know, some of them, not say most, but a lot of them have a hard road to hold coming to the main roster, not by anything they've done wrong, but that just seems to be the case. Pete Dunn's one of my favorite guys. He's a nasty son bitch. Reminds me of a young Steve Regal, just loves to just, just maul you and mug you and stretch you and all that stuff. But, but in a working way, you can tell he's a very qualified talent, but you believe everything he does. And that's the key to getting over. Uh, here's a, an interesting one. You and I've never touched on from Andrew Campbell. He says, if Jim Hurd had his way, do you think Ric Flair could have actually gotten the stupid Spartacus gimmick over? No. God, no. Could anybody have? I mean, I think if anybody could have, maybe he had a shot, but yeah, it, I think, uh, Kevin Sullivan or maybe Jim Cornette said, it's like changing Mickey Mantle's number. Yeah, you could do it, but why the fuck would you? 
Yeah, but if you put Babe Ruth out there in a tutu, that's a little different. Could he have pulled that off? I want to say this moron, this pizza salesman, some bitch, <laughs> that clipped me out of about one hundred and fifty thousand bucks over three years. That's a lot of money at my house. That still is. Actually, thought he was going to put him in like a Roman, like a Roman legion outfit. He was going to like. Yeah, I mean, like in the Cleopatra movie or one of those Trojan movies, you know, Mark Anthony, some of that shit. I think he was wanting to go full bore, cut his hair off short, put an earring in his ear, and put him in a Trojan outfit. Now, at some point, as a fan, you got to look at this and go, now, Ric Flair's made a few bucks, but he's got to have more personal integrity to go along with this bullshit. Sometimes you just got to go, hey, no, but hell no. And I think it, it would have disappointed his fans to the point. I mean, there, there's only so low that you can reach if a guy that's in charge is really trying to crucify you. You know, at some point, whether you got a job tomorrow or not, you got to say, hey, you know what? I'll do pretty much anything that makes sense. This don't make sense. This is bullshit. And in his mind, I mean, he had the ding-dongs, didn't he? Yeah, that was him. How brilliant you thought that was? Not the best idea ever. Well, the thing with Flair is worse than that, tenfold. You're taking a guy that has paved the way for, for God knows how many generations of wrestlers and fans to enjoy our product, and now you're going to turn him into Spartacus? Please. Here's a fun twist on an old wrestling question. Phil Snowden wants to know what is Arn's Mount Rushmore of wrestling cities? So normally it's tag teams, managers, wrestlers, whatever. What about towns? Okay. I think right now, I think you'll agree without being too presumptuous. Chicago is probably the greatest wrestling yep. city in the world. I would agree. I think maybe Manchester, believe it or not, England always does 11,000, 12,000 people. And they are sometimes the London crowd over there is, is, you know, a little quiet for whatever reason. I think uh, Manchester are a little more rowdy. Don't ask me why. I think Greensboro fits. Wow. Greensboro fans are some of the best in the world. So Chicago, Manchester, Greensboro, we got one spot left. Who gets the nod? One coveted spot. Yes. Um, God, I know I'm going to piss a lot of people off because there are so many great wrestling cities. You know what? I want to say Atlanta, Georgia. Wow. I wouldn't have called that one. Just because it's it's had a wrestling product for a lot of the years over the last 50, not so much the last 20, but, you know, they've had a regular product in and out of there and being based on the Superstation and all the generations of, of fans, you know, since probably the 80s on. 70s on it's been you know tbs was on the air when it starts 70s early 70s yeah G georgia championship wrestling and all that right yeah it was in the 70s yeah 
Yeah, I mean, it's such a rich history, and Atlanta has just always supported the live event business. I think they're a good city. I think they're a good choice. I'm curious why New York's not on your list. I hate New York. (laughs) Try, you don't believe it. By God, try renting a car at Newark and set your GPS on the garden. Try driving down there and rent a car where you have four lanes, supposedly, of traffic heading one way, but you got eight cars side by side in those four lanes, being cab drivers, and they're just about sideswiping you. They're cutting you off. They're stopping right in front of you. They're almost running up your ass. It's traumatic. Driving in New York City, Manhattan, anybody that doesn't say so is a liar. That's why people take cabs and car services. I'm just a dumbass that usually rented a car. And it is one of the most frightening things in the world if you've never done it. You ever drove in Manhattan? No, of course not. Of course not. Well, I don't have a helicopter pad. Oh, Jesus. No, listen, I'm using Uber like everybody else. But before that, yeah, it was Taxi Cab Jones. But I have heard forever that it is a nightmare to get well, in and out of uh of madison square garden and i'll tell you this it's not exactly easy to use that stupid car elevator that the boys use in barclays i mean that's some serious security there and at staples wouldn't you agree oh god yeah i mean it's terrible and then if you're on last now you got to walk across the street now this is the garden and you're on the same parking deck that the fans that drove right are parked park. so you're about three levels down now. If the show's over, you got to walk over, go pay for your parking, go down three levels, walk in with all the fans, get in the car, and then as you start driving up against the tide up those three levels, the fans are all walking down now. If you're a hill with heat, your car becomes an attack point, and they're banging and they're kicking. All stuff's going to have to be reported to the rent-a-car company. If you don't have the LDW, guess who's paying for it? Right. You are. Now, if you back up and driving to the garden, let's just say a cab sideswipes you that is clearly halfway in your lane. You pull over, call a cop. They never come. And if they do come, it's two hours later, and they don't even file a report. They just go, hey, man, you're in New York. So you're screwed. Cab drivers don't give a shit if they wreck their cars. They don't belong to them. It's just, yeah, all those New York, you know, like you said, Brooklyn, getting in that place, it's brutal. There's no parking deck within three blocks of there. So if you take a cab, you you know, it's just not my cup of tea, the Northeast. I I am curious, you know, if you've heard the story, because I think, I think this came out a couple of years ago that. After John Cena beat Big Show at WrestleMania 20 to win the U.S. title in Madison Square Garden, he's in that same parking garage. He has a walk across the street with fans, the new U.S. champion, and just sit in traffic trying to leave the building like everybody else. That, to me, is a crazy visual. Now, I get that some of our listeners think, well, what's the big deal? But take me back to, like, eight-year-old Conrad and the idea that Hulk Hogan's in his... Dodge Stratus rent a car waiting to leave WrestleMania. I mean, my dad are walking past him. That's like a, wait a minute. What now type of moment? 
Well, you notice as soon as John started making, once it was decided he was the guy and they were going to go with him, when he started making, I would suggest that first big year that he had and he got his mom a house or whatever he did. And I bet it wasn't too much longer when he got that bus because that's the game changer. When you got a bus, you are exempt from any issues as far as travel in this business. And uh, the bus got to pull underneath the garden. They got to just sit there and eat a meal, take a shower, wait for the place to clear out. And then they just went up the ramp, right into no traffic an hour later, and just pull on out and head to the next town. A lot of the guys followed suit, Randy, Big Show, Ray. A lot of them had, you know, buses. But, yeah, to get in a rental car in that parking deck and be, you know, because once you get to the top of the ramp, it's still bumper to bumper all around the garden. So you, you got people walking down the middle of the street, banging on your car, wanting to talk to you, wanting you to sign stuff, which I get it. You're not going anywhere, but can you imagine if you rolled that window down and signed one? Oh, God, it's over. Everybody else that was standing around there with something to sign would be feeling like they were shit on. Absolutely. So you can't just sign one and that's it or two. If you got to sign one, you better be prepared to put it in part and get out and sign them all. And if you got 15 people around you, that's not going to fly in New York traffic. So, you know, people that haven't experienced it, people that live up there, I get it. They somehow get used to it. They cab it everywhere. Nobody owns cars. They don't have anywhere to park them if they did, if they, if they could afford it. So it's like, I get it if you live there and that's your way of life. But for a Southern boy who's used to interstate traffic and easy ons and offs, man, it's traumatic up there. Let's, uh, let's switch gears here and do a more lighthearted subject. This is, uh, I can't believe this is real because I had never even heard of this, but we've got a question about. <laughs> Man, you think I love talking old wrestling? Well, the only thing I love more than that is helping people save money. But now, thanks to SaveWithConrad.com and this podcast, I can help my fellow wrestling fans save some cash, and we get to talk old wrestling along the way. Just ask Mr. Myers. He just left us a five-star review right there in Cincinnati, Ohio. Well, he heard us talking about it here on the show, gave us a shot over at SaveWithConrad.com, then he gave us this five-star review. Everything went well and was done ahead of schedule to make an easy purchase. Well, my man, it sounds like congratulations are in order. Congratulations on your new house. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And thanks for checking out SaveWithConrad.com. Let's keep the good news going over to Wisconsin where Mr. Hansen writes, I couldn't have asked for a better experience than the one we had working with Jimmy. He made what could have been a stressful process incredibly easy. He answered all of our questions immediately and he got us a fantastic deal. I cannot recommending refinancing through first family mortgage enough. Save with Conrad to the rescue. Sounds like boys and girls, another five-star review. Thank you very much for that, Tim. We also want to keep this good news train going. How about Utica, Mississippi friend of the show. Super Dave writes Conrad went out of his way to save me money. Congratulations. Super Dave. I saw you right on Twitter. That you're going to save more than a hundred thousand dollars. Thanks to save with Conrad.com. Can't thank you enough for your faith and confidence. What about up in DeSoto, Missouri? Ellen would write, everyone involved in the transaction from start to finish was very helpful. Every question I had was answered five stars. And when it came to her likelihood of referring us in the future, 
on a scale of one to ten, she gave us a ten. Uh, and so did uh, Mr. Christopher over in Missouri. He was riding. We were able to knock seven years off of our loan. Jimmy made everything easy. Five stars. Man, there's good news coast to coast at SaveWithConrad.com. And there can be great news for you right now if you go get a quick quote. You see, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And whether you're stuck in an apartment and feel like you're a part of that lease life forever, do what some of our listeners are doing and make a decision to get out of that apartment today. Don't believe what you're seeing on TV. You don't have to put 20% down and have an 800 credit score. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners get out of their apartments and into new homes. And they're doing it with little to no money out of pocket. And oh, by the way, all the way down to credit scores in the 500s. But here is some perhaps even better news. If you're a homeowner right now, what about a little summer vacation from house payments? You won't have to make your June or your July payment. You're done until August 1st. And come August 1st, you're going to have a better mortgage. We're going to show you how to take advantage of these once-in-a-lifetime rates and use it to almost hit the reset button on your financial outlook. We want to help you get rid of all your credit card debt just like that. You know the interest is outrageous. It's eating you alive. Let's get a fresh start. Let's knock it out, show you how to skip a couple of house payments, maybe take the family on a vacation. But come August, man, we're going to get serious about getting out of debt. We're going to cut years off of your loan. We have routinely helped our listeners say five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks a month. But in the process, we also show them how to pay their house off faster. You heard Super Dave, even saving more than a hundred thousand dollars. Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And man, if I can't help you save some money, I won't waste your time. Seriously, check it out. Savewithconrad.com. The reviews are in and five stars, baby. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and I should mention there's more than one way to get a hold of us. You can even talk to a live person. Just click the live chat button in the bottom right-hand corner at savewithconrad.com. Or if you're old school like me, man, just give us a call and we'll even pick up the tab. It's toll-free at 888-425-0105 or shoot me an email it's conrad at savewithconrad.com but if you do send me an email be sure to include your name especially if you have a gimmick email and your phone number and uh, i'll hit you up man let's save some money at savewithconrad.com this is from the white wolf what was the most physical taxing war games on your body and did colonel robert parker really shit his pants in 1994 I've never heard that story. Did Colonel Robert Parker take a dump in his pants in 94 during the war games? Well, it wasn't one that I was in, obviously. (laughs) I just, I'm like, wait a minute. What now? I mean, I've always heard that, you know, the, the early war games were the more taxing because everybody's flying around at 90 miles to nothing. And it was a new concept and you didn't know what the limitations were. And the result is JJ Dillon ends his in-ring career with a broken shoulder for his trouble thanks to the road warriors and that doomsday device that you smartly said nah i'm gonna take a pass on that was the 87 war game series the toughest or or is there another one that maybe sticks out well yeah i mean i think the one the the first one dusty started and we had the bright idea of leaving hawk to the end well he had sat there and watched Dusty beat me up for five minutes, then get cut off, little heat on him. Then you had whoever else was was the next one in, whether it was Animal. But, but he saw three of his other or four of his other teammates come in and make a comeback. He sat there for 30 minutes and watched 
all those fans cheering for everybody but him. Now, knowing his mentality, he is pacing like a caged animal. And when he came in, he got tagged in. He knocked every one of us out. Clothesline, boom, out, clothesline, clothesline. And I'll never forget shaking it off and sitting up and crawling across my feet, just quick crawling, was totally, he looked over at me, I'll never forget it, and went, fuck this shit. I mean, he almost killed us. It, we learned that night, do not leave Hawk to the end. Right. Put him in second. That was that was the ones that were physical. And um, as far as the colonel shit in his pants, if he had on that white outfit. We don't know. Mm, what do you think? I don't know. I don't, I've heard of that. I mean, I've heard of Sid shitting his pants against the undertaker at WrestleMania 13, Rick Flair and Ricky Steamboat have often talked about how early in one of their matches, Rick got diarrhea through his pink tights and every body slam was an event, but he refused to go home because well, they, they paid for 45 minutes and they're going to get all of them. So they wrestled for 30 minutes with, uh, most of the first few rows clearing out according to Rick. To be perfectly honest with you, I would think shit in your pants would be an afterthought after the match was over. Then the conversation after you talked about the match, you might say, well, you know, I shit my pants about halfway through this thing. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't something they talked about during the match, during the ring. Well, I mean, I think it was like, uh, I mean, it wasn't, um, man, I don't know how to, it wasn't solid. So it, there was splatter. It was a situation. Well, there's no, no covering up for that. If people are looking for that, I guess. No, I mean, especially if you're wearing pink tights, all of a sudden they're two-tone. Yeah. That'd be hard to cover for sure. Let's, uh, let's do a couple of fun ones. Let's wrap this one up. The anomaly Jordan wants to know, has Arn ever picked up one of those famous Ribera jackets while he was in Japan during the mid nineties? And if so, what color did he get? And most importantly, how was the steak? Steak was fabulous for two reasons. You had been eating in small towns uh, during your tour. And usually when the guys first got back to, you'd start out in Tokyo on a three-week tour, do about eight or nine days there. And then you would take off for about seven or eight days to these little towns where you couldn't find any food. And once the matches were over, you really couldn't find any food, and it was real suspect. Then you would come back to Tokyo for the last few days of the tour, and everybody would make a point of going to Ribera's. And, you know, they comped the meal. They treated you like a movie star. As long as you took a picture that they could put up in there, and they gave all the boys Ribera jackets. Mine was dark blue, trimmed in gold, very nice. I'm sure it's somewhere. I don't know where, but uh, it's somewhere. I don't think I ever took it out of the pack. And uh, they were just really, really nice people, and uh, they made you feel like you actually had came back home, if that's possible, being in Tokyo. It is weird that their go-to uh, side dish is corn, so it's steak and corn. I mean, it was great, not arguing, but it is fun love, that that's the love, go-to side Love dish. corn. I love corn. I do too. Every time we fire up the big green egg, uh, and, and Megan's like, uh, Hey, we're going to do two vegetables. 
what besides corn do you want? So it's always a broccoli or squash or something else, but she knows that corn is like my number one. What about sewer peas with pearl onions and mushrooms? I'm going to leave that for your grill. Uh, Erica Wilson. Wait a minute, Erica. Hey, Arn, we have a lady listener. Can you believe that? God, I thought all women hated me. Well, besides, besides one, but maybe her most of all, actually. especially that one. Yeah. Uh, Erica's right. Hi, Arn. We visit Aruba every year for the past seven years. What's your favorite restaurant on the island? Okay. We had a string going. We went about eight years in a row. Um, let's see. Driftwood downtown's awesome. And if you get a fishing charter, they'll take you out. You can catch some mahi mahi. When you come back in that afternoon, you can, uh, go back to your hotel, clean up, come back, and they will have made that prepared it five different ways for you. So the fish you caught is now on a huge rotating platter and grilled, fried, put their flavor on it, you name it. About four or five different ways that they cook it. It's awesome. And uh, that's one of our favorites. There's an aqua, which is close to the Marriott, which has got fabulous seafood. Um, And like everything else, my memory's going a little bit. I know Madame Jeanette's is another one that we really love. Uh, I love Aruba. If you've never been, have you been there, comrade? No, but literally the first time in you hung out, you said, Hey, where's your favorite place to vacation? And you put over Aruba for 20 minutes, specifically the Marriott. What makes the Marriott in Aruba your go-to? I mean, you've told us before you've had some nightmare stays and various properties, but this, and that you're a Marriott man as a result of those nightmare stays, because it's always consistent and clean and good and blah, blah. You put over the one in Aruba in a special way. What is it about the uh, the Aruba Marriott that stands out to you? Well, first of all, I've sent some pretty prominent fellas down there on my recommendation, and they all come back shaking my hand, smiling, saying, God, we love it. From Charlotte, let's start there. It's about three hours and 40 minutes, which is not as far as flying from here to L.A. Right. So, So it's an easy flight. Easy getting through customs, small airport, maybe maybe eight gates, something like that. Now, once you get to the Marriott, they have a freestanding gym, two-story, that is loaded with equipment. They have, like, treasure hunts and stuff for the kids. If you want to leave your kid for four hours and do grown-up things in the uh, morning or the afternoon, they have those. Largest casino on the island is right in the hotel. Two glorious pools, one of them uh, where you can get on the raft and just easy river float around nonstop. Also got a Ruth Chris restaurant, Champions restaurant, and an Italian restaurant. A couple of nights a week, you can go down actually and sit on the sand and watch the sun go down, and they will bring you a three-course fabulous dinner. One day, I think Sunday, they have like the fire dancers and all that stuff, and they have a seafood buffet loaded down with lobster, prime rib, crab legs, shrimp, you name it. The beach is beautiful. 
the water is nice and cool for whatever reason it is. So you sit in that sun 82 to 86 year round, the temperature, very little rainfall. And here's the kicker for the fat guys like me. There's trade winds blow right down the beach 24-7. The wind is constantly blowing. So you don't even get overheated. You don't even sweat. Well, you've sold us all. Uh, it'll be the most crowded hotel on the island when you go back. So it is absolutely phenomenal. And the people are great. When things get back to normal and everybody can move around a little more, is that your first stop on vacation? Y'all going back to the Marriott and Aruba? Bet your ass. Last one, then we'll wrap this one up. Late to the Nitro Party writes, any good Big Bubba Rogers stories from the Crockett days? Of course, uh, a lot of our younger fans would remember he was the big boss man character. But before that, he was Big Bubba Rogers for Jim Crockett and uh, some pretty special moments during that run. Any good Ray Trailer stories you can share with us? I would just say this. Ray grew up, unbeknownst to me, probably 35, 40 miles from Rome where I grew up. Different eras, obviously. I was already packed up and on the road and in the business. Paulding County, I think, is where he was from. I was in Floyd County. It was 35, 40 miles. Just a big plowboy, incredible athlete, unbelievably strong, but more so than everything, what a sweetheart of a human being. He's, he's one of the guys that you could just sit there and literally talk about nothing and be laughing your ass off 30 seconds into the conversation. And the guy was just so generous with his time. He was so generous in his work and the way he approached matches. And he was just so smooth. And just be honest with you, he was just real good. You're talking about big men earlier? Here's a guy that I considered a big man. And, buddy, you put him in that top five with Vader and whoever the other three were. The guy could go. And... uh Big Bubba Rogers, he had such a great look, and Cornette was so good at guiding him, and, and he just was a hit, and he was a top guy from day one, and uh, once he got to the WWF, the big boss man gimmick, with all that exposure and, and all the vignettes and all the things that they did to make you a star, man, the guy was a big deal. And a lot of shows, Tully and I were with the Rockers right underneath Hogan and Boss Man, and it was some of the biggest weeks I had with the company. Well, we had a big week doing hashtag Ask Arn Anything, and we hope you guys enjoyed what we were able to put together for you. Next week, we're going to be back with Elimination Chamber 2015. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this one. I think I was actually at this show. Uh, maybe not, but uh, Corpus Christi, Texas is where this one's going down. On top is Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins for the World Heavyweight title. We've also got an Elimination Chamber for the Intercontinental title and one for the tag titles. So not one, but two different Elimination title or Elimination Chamber matches. Uh, and here's something sort of fun as a little footnote. The dark match that night was Stardust and Zack Ryder. We also got Kevin Owens and John Cena probably stealing the show. Lots to unpack, lots to talk about next week. If you've got a question for us, follow us on Twitter. It's at the Arn show. And uh, if you haven't already check us out over at adfreeshows.com. We just watched Slamboree 93 and 
saw Arn in his only title shot on pay-per-view against Barry Windham for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. We'll be back next week for Elimination Chamber. Join the fun. You can hear all these shows early and ad-free over at adfreeshows.com or just stick around. Hit that subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review. Throw us a follow at The Arn Show, and we'll see you next week right here for Elimination Chamber 2015, only on Westwood One. Of course, it's Arn. I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. Jeremy, which one of the podcasts is your favorite one? Uh, my favorite one is probably uh, What Happened When with Tony. Uh, what made you go to Save With Conrad um, in the first place? What was your goal? Uh, save a little bit of money, condense some of my debt, instead of paying three different monthly payments on some things. Now I'm only doing one monthly payment, and it's actually less. Out of this whole process, do you remember... How much money you were able to save? Nine hundred. I'm probably paying about two hundred dollars, two hundred fifty dollars less a month. Being able to have that two fifty in your pocket, or two hundred in your pocket at the end of the month, is is a huge deal. Big help, big help. Would you recommend us to anybody, like a friend or a family member? Uh, definitely. So what are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the five hundreds can be approved. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But because we're licensed in more than 40 states, we can help more families than ever before. Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? Yeah, how many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.